Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you tonight on the foundation for healing. Healing is a subject that there's a lot of controversy, or it is, it, it, the subject is controversial in a lot of settings. I don't really think it should be. But because so much of the church world doesn't know what God's plan and purpose is for them concerning the healing of sickness and disease, then in, that in most cases, in many Christians, in many believers' lives, they've got a faulty foundation. You know as well as I do, if there's a foundation problem, then whatever you put on top of that foundation won't last or won't be strong. And so certainly the thing that overrides everything else when it comes to receiving healing from the Lord is the knowledge of His will. It would be impossible for somebody to believe God for healing if they didn't know if it was his will to heal them. F.F. Bosworth said it this way. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known. You can't have faith for something you don't know is his will. And therefore, if you're going to have faith for healing, you're going to have to know that it is his will for you to be healed. Now, there's a lot of ways that you could attack that or approach that subject from the Bible to prove that it's the will of God for all of his children to be healed. But the one that I want to pick tonight, we can find in Genesis chapter 1. Surely, it's critically important for us to know where sickness comes from if we're going to ascertain the will of God concerning his people. So I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, folks, if we want to find out where sickness comes from, as far as God is concerned, if he created sickness, if sickness comes from God, and if sickness does not come from God, then there's no way that he could ever use it to perfect any of his people or to bring blessing into their lives. So if God created sickness and disease with the intent of using it, on or toward his children for whatever reason, to teach them something or whatever, then we're going to have to find it in the first six days of creation because that's the only time that God made anything. Well, we just read what he made in the first day. Is there any sickness there? Well, then he couldn't have made sickness on the first day. Well, it must be in one of the later days then. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Did he create sickness and disease on day two? Well, it must be further into the week then. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. 
And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Did he create sickness and disease on day three? And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. To create sickness and disease on day four. Folks, did you notice something? Did you notice when God made the light and separated it from the darkness, he called the light day and the darkness night? Do you realize that when he made that, what was that on day two? When he made that, light and day aren't created by the sun or the moon. He already had daylight and darkness before the moon was ever, uh, the sun and the moon was ever created. Verse 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. This is incorporated both day five and day six. Has he made sickness and disease yet? Well, here in day six, it goes on in verse 26 and says, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat." And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw the thing that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God made sickness and disease on the sixth day. Let's keep reading into chapter 2. Verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work we had, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all of his work which God created and made. I want you to notice that on the seventh day, it was a day of rest. He identified it and, and sanctified it, separated it as a day of rest. He didn't make anything on the seventh day. So he couldn't have made sickness and disease on day seven. But more importantly than that, it tells us that the seventh day, the day of rest, came into being after God had made an end of all of his creative works. In other words, the Bible tells us that if God didn't make it in the first six days, he didn't make it at all. Whatever God created this earth to be, he created it in the first six days. And that's why day seven was a rest day. There was nothing else to create. And when God had made an end of his creative works at the end of the sixth day, he looked at it and saw that it was very good. In other words, he looked at the earth and saw that it was perfect. There was nothing on this earth that was created in the first six days that could hurt man that could harm him in any way, that wasn't completely and totally under his dominion. Nothing. Not a thing. Well, when does sickness come on the scene? Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us that by one man's sin, death came upon man and was passed down from generation to generation. Now, what one man's sin is he talking about? He's talking about Adam and Eve sinning in the Garden of Eden. And as a result, death, sickness and death came upon the earth. And all men became subject to that death. It's amazing to me how the devil has stirred up so much trouble over the years following the fall. that can be cleared up just by a simple and basic understanding of the truth. An example is what we just talked about. If God didn't make sickness and disease, and we know where sickness and disease came into being, not because of God's creative work, not because God put it on the earth because he had some purpose for it, but because Adam and Eve fell. That simple truth would be enough to create a foundation to receive healing every time sickness attacks us. If God didn't create sickness, then that speaks to his character, doesn't it? If God looked at the earth and said that it was very good, and the wording there really is talking about perfection, if the earth was perfect, in the absence of sickness and disease. Then how could it be perfect if sickness and disease was in effect? It couldn't. And if God made a perfect world without sickness and disease, then any 
operation of God concerning sickness and disease, any use of sickness and disease for any purpose, whether to teach man something or whatever else somebody wants to come up with. The use of sickness and disease by God the Father could not be an act of goodness. It would be an act of imperfection, which is impossible for God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. A couple of things to notice about that scripture. It says God can only be one way, and that's good. The earth was very good without sickness and disease. So God using sickness and disease in any form for any means or for any purpose could not be an act of goodness. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from God the Father. Sickness can't be perfect then. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. And it tells us that he never changes. That verse that we just quoted, James chapter 1, verse 17. It says there's no variableness in God. That means he can't be for sickness one day and healing for the next day. It means he can't be sick for sickness on, on one of his children and against sickness for another of his children. If that were the case, then he would be variable or he would be changing and that would negate the fact that he is God. Now turn with me to, to uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Let's start reading in verse 9. It says, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, he will give him a stone? Well, that wouldn't be a good father, would it? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? That would even be less of being a good father. If you then, verse 11, if you then being evil, and the word evil is just the word natural, carnal. It's talking about human beings. He's not talking about unrighteous. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask him? Jesus is telling us you can't ask God for something good and get something bad instead. You can't ask for something that is identified as good and have your heavenly Father reject it and give you something harmful instead. Now, do you remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus is talking to his disciples? It's at the Last Supper. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about going to the Father. When he starts talking about going to the Father, Philip speaks up and says, Lord, show us the Father. And then we'll be satisfied. And Peter answers and he says, Philip, have I been so long time with you? And yet have you not known me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. 
He that has seen me has seen the Father. That means if, any, if we want to see any aspect, any detail, any part of God's character, God's nature, or the way he operates, all we have to do is look at Jesus. All we have to do is look at Jesus. Now I'll draw to your remembrance Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Peter's talking about Jesus. He's at Cornelius' house. Having been sent supernaturally by the Holy Ghost there through visions and dreams. And Peter summarizes by the Holy Ghost. He summarizes Jesus' ministry here on the earth. He says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good. Well if Jesus is the will of the Father in action. If seeing Jesus is the same as seeing the Father then he has to do good. He can't do evil. It's impossible. It would be contrary to his nature. So how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing. Healing has to be included in the good that he did. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So it tells us that oppression, specifically what Peter's talking about includes healing the sick. Jesus went about healing the sick because it's a good thing. Well, again, remember what we just referred to over in James chapter 1, verse 17. There's no variableness in God. He can never change. He can be good and only be good. Not only is the only thing he can do good, but he's the only one that is good. So Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Now folks, when we look back at the creation account, and we take the verses of scripture that we read about God's first six days and the way the, the, world, the, way the earth was, before the fall of man. God looked at it and said that it was very good. In other words, it was perfect. And we know that what God, therefore we know that what God considers to be very good or perfect is where there's nothing that can hurt or harm mankind. But at the fall, things changed. And many of the physical laws of nature that we see and experience around us are different than the way that God originally made them. Let me give you an example from Jesus' ministry. There was a time where Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, let's pass over the sea, talking about the Sea of Galilee, let's pass over to the other side. And then he went in the back of the ship or boat or whatever it would be called and went to sleep. And a storm arose. The Bible says it was a great storm of wind in the original language, a mega storm. The Bible calls it a storm of wind. So it would, it would be maybe what we would consider to be a gale force wind or something like a hurricane or a tornado or whatever. It was certainly out of the ordinary because the disciples who were seamen, fishermen, they were used to being out on the, the Sea of Galilee both day and night Remember when Jesus in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus told Peter to launch out 
into the deep for a catch of fish. Peter said it's the wrong time to fish. You don't fish in the daylight because the fish can see the net and they won't swim into the net if they can see it. So they're used to being out on the Sea of Galilee at night. That's when they make their, uh, their catches. So apparently this storm was something out of the ordinary. And the disciples finally woke Jesus up and said, don't you care that we're dying? I guess they wanted to make sure Jesus was awake for the death that they thought was going to take them. And Jesus got up, went to the front part of the ship, and spoke to the wind and said, peace be still. Now, folks, an experience like that, whether it was a tornado, a hurricane, or, uh, well, it wouldn't have been a hurricane, I guess, in that part of the world. But whether it was a tornado or some other giant wind that created the storm, it couldn't have been the will of God for those storms to be. Because when Jesus commanded the storm to cease, if it was the will of God, things like that that are called in insurance policies or used to be, I don't know if they still are, but they used to be called acts of God. And insurance companies used to have clauses in their policies that protected them against acts of God. These freak things of nature over which no one has control. Well, they can't be, this storm of wind couldn't have been an act of God if Jesus rebuked it and quieted it down. Because if it was of God, then Jesus would be operating contrary to the will and the plan and the purpose of his Father. In like manner, there are a lot of things about this earth, even the laws of nature, that have changed to a great degree or did change to a great degree when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. Consequently, there are things, natural disasters and other things that in ignorance, much of the church world thinks God's behind, that he's the author of. But he can't be if he's the good God and the good Father that the Bible tells us he is. Jesus summed it up this way in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Do you realize if the church world would simply agree and, and believe that God is always good and that he's only good. Do you realize how that would change the world's attitude toward the things that are going on around us? That in and of itself would stop the idea that God uses sickness and disease to teach his children. He couldn't use something that's not good to produce good. And since God didn't create sickness and disease, we know there's no sickness and disease in heaven. So for those that believe that God uses sickness and disease to teach us or to perfect us in some way or another, then we have to ask the question, where would he get sickness to use? There's none in heaven. 
is certainly not part of what he created here on the earth. Acts 10.38 says that sickness is satanic oppression. So if that's true, thank God it is. But if that's true, then in order for God to use sickness and disease against anybody, he'd have to go to the devil to get it. Now, do you know anybody in their right mind in the church world, modern or ancient, that believes that God and the devil are working hand in hand? They're diametrically opposed to each other in every possible way. But the devil's done a number on the church. He's deceived mankind into speaking against his own best interests, which opens the door to sickness and disease, and then the devil turns around and says that it was God that did it. And the church, particularly the modern-day church, with an ignorance of what the Bible says, and I don't mean the, the word ignorant to be derogatory. I'm using it the way the Bible does. The Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Well, that's ignorance, isn't it? Isn't ignorance a lack of knowledge? So the church in its ignorance, ignorance of the word that plainly tells us what's what and who's who, fail to distinguish between God's good acts, good works of healing and the sickness that the devil uses against mankind. Now, since Jesus told us, he that's seen me has seen the Father, let me ask you something. Do you ever see Jesus turning somebody away for healing? Now, folks, if it's not God's will to heal everybody, then again, Jesus would have to be operating contrary to the will and the plan and the purpose of God, which makes him a sinner. You can't work against God and be righteous. So if Jesus was working against God by never withholding healing from any sickness or disease or deliverance from the oppression of the devil in any form, since he never turned anybody away, he came upon people that he had to help them in order for them to take hold of what God wanted for them. Mark chapter 9, the guy with the son who was possessed of the devil that would, the evil spirit in him would throw him into the fire or into the water trying to destroy his life. You remember he finally got to the point where, Jesus, where he said to Jesus, if you can do anything, your disciples couldn't do anything to help me. If you can do anything, have mercy on me and help me. Jesus had to get him believing and saying the right thing in order to bring the healing that was God's will for him to have all along for the benefit of his son. Jesus said, it's not a matter of what I can do, what power I have. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. The father spoke up and answered and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That doesn't sound like a real strong statement of faith to me, does it you? But it was faith in some measure. And it was enough for Jesus to be able to use. He cast the devil out of that little boy and delivered him back to his father. We see also in Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6, when Jesus goes to his own hometown of Nazareth 
He preaches to them that he's anointed of the Holy Ghost to heal the sick. But they wouldn't believe. And it says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, And he could there in Nazareth do no mighty work. It doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. He could there in Nazareth do no mighty work, save or accept he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments and got them healed. But he didn't get any blind eyes opened. He didn't have any cripples healed in Nazareth like he had in Capernaum, which they had already heard about. And it says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief because of their refusal to believe what he said, their refusal to believe who he claimed to be and his purpose for being sent to mankind. Because they refused to believe, he couldn't use the power of God that was available, the anointing to heal the sick that were in that city. He was not able to utilize that power to bring about healing or deliverance. But that's not Jesus turning anybody away. That's people refusing to believe and accept what he said. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing. Thank God healing's good. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God was with Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. And those works of the devil included sickness and disease. God was with him to destroy the works of the devil. He anointed him to destroy the works of the devil. And all it took was simple faith. All it took was faith to take hold of what Jesus said he was sent to the earth to deliver. That's all it took. Folks, faith is not some hard thing. Faith is really the easiest thing in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a fight to it. There's a standing your ground when things don't look like they're going your way or the way the Bible says it should be. There's a resisting to the devil or resisting of the devil, resisting of wrong thoughts and answering those wrong thoughts with the truth of the word, just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted of the devil after he'd been fasting for 40 days. You remember how Jesus put him on the run? Everything he was tempted in everything that he was tempted about, he quoted the word. He said, it is written. Now, folks, if Jesus, who was the son of God, who had the spirit of God without measure, no limit, no cap on the power of God available for him to use in any means whatsoever, if Jesus resisted the word while he resisted the devil with the word of God while he was here on the earth, that's a pretty good pattern then for us to follow, isn't it? Now, why would Jesus quote the word when the devil tempted him? Because it's the expression of faith. It's how you take hold of what God has made available to us through the sacrifice of Jesus and what he's revealed to us that belongs to us. It is written. The devil brings pain, circumstance, or a bad diagnosis to us. The choice is, what are we going to say? Remember, the law of faith is very simply this. God said, I'll deal with you according to the words you've spoken in my ears. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you.
we should be so full of the word of God that anytime any pressure comes against us, the word comes out. We should be so filled up with the word like a sponge is with water so that any, even the slightest amount of pressure just brings forth the word from our lips. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. This was the will of God, folks. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Sickness and disease is always satanic oppression. Healing is always good. Sickness and disease is always the devil's will in action. Healing the sick is always God's will in action. So simple truths, just simple truths, like God is good and he's always good. Healing is good and healing's always good. Sickness is of the devil and it's always of the devil. Simple truths like that. The most basic, the most foundational part of our knowledge changes everything. Changes absolutely everything. See, the only argument that anybody can raise in an attempt to prove or believe or hold to the idea that God doesn't want everybody to be healed. The only thing they have to show from that or in that vein is somebody that tried to take hold of their healing, was a dear saint of God, walked and lived a holy life that died sick. But what does that really prove? Maybe they didn't know how to take hold of their healing. Doesn't mean they were bad people. Doesn't mean we have to deny the fact that they lived a holy life here on the earth. But it really doesn't prove anything. But when we see God's work in action as identified in the scripture, since he's no respecter of persons, anybody that received their healing through the ministry of Jesus is proof that God will do the same thing for you and me. Otherwise, he's a respecter of persons. And that makes him a sinner. The best evidence we have that healing belongs to us are the healing examples that are given to us in the four Gospels. We can talk about modern day, present day testimonies of healing, and those are great. But even if we didn't have those, we have absolutely all the proof that we would ever need that healing belongs to all of God's children because we saw what Jesus did. When people came to him, the leper in Matthew chapter 8, who came to him and said, if you will, I believe you can make me whole. Jesus instantly moved with compassion toward the guy, stretched forth his hand and said, I will. Be thou clean. And his leprosy disappeared. If God wants that, if he wills that for that leper in, Mar in Matthew chapter 8, and doesn't will that for you and me, then the part of the Bible that says God's no respecter of persons is a lie. And if that's a lie, then what else is a lie? Thank God it's all true. Situations where people came to Jesus with a pure heart, he always showed them how to receive. 
always. If Jesus is God in the flesh, which he claimed to be, he that has seen me has seen the Father, as he told the disciples in John 14 at the Last Supper. Then every time we see Jesus moving to help somebody or encouraging them to believe so that they can take hold of what God has for them is an eternal testament and testimony to God's willingness to heal all. The Bible goes so far as to say that very thing in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. It says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and that were lame. And he healed them all, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And with his stripes we are healed. See, folks, the only thing, the only action that Jesus could take to fulfill that wonderful prophecy in Isaiah 53 about what Jesus would pay for, what he would shed his blood for, the only way for that to be fulfilled is for all to be healed. And they were. To prove that it's God's will for all to be healed. Folks, I don't care if it's a little thing. I don't care if it's a 24-hour bug or a 26-year sickness. Not all faith battles last at the same time. But the prayer of faith based on God's word will always work. Always. And the devil doesn't have enough power to stop it. Because really the only power he has is to deceive you and me to keep us from taking hold of what Jesus has already purchased. The healing that he's already shed his blood for. Our foundation for healing is the knowledge that sickness is of the devil and that healing is always good and that God wants healing for all of his people. That'll never change. That's an eternal truth that'll never change. Never, ever, ever. Let's just worship God for a few moments. Lord, we magnify you. Jesus, we worship you for your willingness to hang on the cross and to shed your blood for us. Knowing full well that your blood is the redeeming agent that takes us out of the bondage of sin and death and brings us into the kingdom of God. Knowing full well that the kingdom of God includes material well-being, financial well-being, and healing from sickness and disease. We believe that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus, Father, no matter what. We declare that there is no circumstance, there is no situation, there is nothing that has happened or could ever happen 
that negates the eternal truth that healing is ours. So we give you the sacrifice of praise, Father. We willingly magnify you. We willingly declare with open hearts and spiritual eyes opened. We worship you because the work has been done. So in accordance with your word, Father, we simply declare we believe we receive our healing in the precious and holy name of Jesus. We declare that the power of sin and death is broken over our lives. We declare that the power of sickness and disease is broken over our bodies. We declare, even because your word says so, that by his stripes we are healed. Father, it's so good to be healed. Thank you for lifting the burden off our shoulders and taking the yoke off our neck. Thank you, Father, for redeeming our life from destruction and crowning us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Thank you, Father, for raising us up. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Folks, the word of faith doesn't have to be screamed out. It can be just a whisper. I think sometimes the greatest stands of faith are the times where we do just whisper and declare God's word to be true. It doesn't matter if somebody else hears it, but it does matter that the devil hears it. John G. Lake, during the time that he was in his ministry in Africa, southern Africa, he got word that one of his children was being attacked with a dreaded sickness and disease, deadly disease. And so he rushed back to find his son at the point of death in the hospital. And he went into his room and he laid hands on him and he prayed and made the statement that he was going to pray. He just told the devil, I'm going to keep praying for him until you're gone. And so after about three or four hours, the young boy was raised up and he took hold of his healing. Well, the same thing happened sometime later, many years later, several years later. Lake was away from home and he got pretty much the same urgent request or notification that he had with his other son before. So he rushed back. Same situation, found his son in the hospital. And this time, he sat down in a chair beside his son's bed and just whispered to the devil, take him if you can. He didn't pray. He didn't lay hands on him. He just sat there in the authority that he had in the name of Jesus. 
And a couple of hours later, his son opened his eyes, and he was perfectly well. There's not just one size fits all to this stuff, folks. But it all comes down to knowing what you have in the Word. Knowing what authority is yours because of the precious work of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being part of our family. We love you. Have a great week.